Greetings, everyone, and welcome. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, getting ready for another fantastic Battleground PA. This one, we have a lot to talk about once again, because it's the Republican National Convention. Stay tuned. We will have Rajette Harris, our Democratic analyst, and Jeffrey Lord, our Republican analyst, join us to discuss what went right and did anything go wrong. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Battleground PA, and live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay. Hello, everyone. I am back. Joyce Davis, Live's opinion editor. And if you would like to join us, uh, expressing yourself however you want to by uh, email, just send it to topics at battlegroundpa.org. Or you can check us out. Join us at Facebook or Twitter at Battleground PA. And this is a battleground now, isn't it, Rajette and Jeffrey? How are you guys doing today? Just great. Excited. Things are getting started for sure. Things are definitely getting started, but I'm going to have to tell both of you, these uh, conventions are exhausting. <laughs> okay, I mean, for, yes, unless you're are. really a part of an adventure, you are sitting there. It is so exhausting following everything, however scintillating it may be. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with Jeffrey telling us, giving us his overview of how things have gone for these, these uh, beginning days of the Republican National Convention. I think they've been great. And and one thing I, I mean, I must confess to, uh, th- this is a difficult thing to put a convention on in this fashion in a virtual oh. form. Um, but the thing that amused me, and I think the results showed, uh, I did see a news story out here on my vacation that uh, the Republicans had people who had helped produce The Apprentice <laughs> putting putting their show together. Uh, and I think it's been, you know, from what I'm seeing, uh, very effective. You know, the pardon of the uh, bank robber turned uh, Christian, the uh, the immigrants that were being sworn in, legal immigrants, to emphasize his uh, support for legal immigration. And, um, you know, the I guess there was a businessman there to talk about the economy and all of that. And and uh, and then the one that I thought was particularly interesting was Nicholas Sandman, uh, the Covington Catholic high school student who sued CNN and the Washington Post and won in both cases. You know, they settled in both cases. Um, so, you know, taken together, I think it's been great. You know, they're doing very well and there will be more of this kind of thing tonight. Yep, I, it's going to go on, but it, it is a lot to stay in tune with because there was a lot happening uh, on these nights of the Republican National Convention. But, Rochette, I, I just want to let you uh, chime in here to get your overview of what, how you think things went. Well, the Republicans had less time than we did to put together. They had really just a couple weeks. Um, so considering that, I mean, if I... You know, if I take my Democrat hat off and I'm objective, it really is a great production. And I think that it is touching the Republican base, obviously. I'm not sure how much it's broadening out, but I do think that it is driving up the 
the base. You know, a couple of specifics. Uh, last night, Daniel Cameron, uh, the 34-year-old yeah. um, African-American attorney general of Kentucky, <clears throat> definitely a rising star. And he was the perfect person to call out uh Joe Biden and the uh, on some of the comments he made about uh, who blacks should vote for. Um, so I definitely think he's a rising star. And I'm curious to see how he handles the Brianna Taylor case moving forward, since he did mention his her name uh, last night during the speech. Uh, I, I liked Millennia Trump's uh, speech. She has something her husband does not have, which is empathy. You know, she addressed the coronavirus <laughs> head on and, you know, she said, you know, um, my thoughts and prayers are with the families who lost loved ones. And that's really what people want. They want acknowledgement. Yeah, she they acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. We're going to delve into Melania uh, clearly a little bit more. But let, let's. But, but just one more thing, though. I do think there are some political gimmicks, though. Um, yeah. As we know, um, the president ha is using the White House for he is, um, you know, he's not under Hatch Act. That's true. But they're, they they have dubbed away from tradition. I do think there are some political gimmicks. The pardon. I'm a big fan of pardons. I think people, more people should get pardons. I don't think the convention was the right place to have it. I think it takes away from the magnificent of it, of what it what it means. Same thing as in, with the naturalization ceremony. Again, the ceremony itself is great, but this is one of the most anti-immigrant presidents that we have. So it just came off as gimmicky to true. me. Um, and Pompeo, <laughs> well, I, I do not think Pompeo, I don't think Pompeo should have spoken at all um, in his position, let alone um, from Jerusalem. Um, so I think that was inappropriate. But with that said, overall, oh, and Tim Scott was definitely a highlight as well, um, big time. But I, I do think it's great production. I do think it's speaking to the Republican base. So, Jeffrey, that rebut some of this stuff. But let me just ask you this as, as you go into your rebuttal. What I kept trying to uh, figure out as I was stepping back and looking at this is really what what who were they trying to reach? Because we see that the numbers were low. I mean, not necessarily low, but they weren't as high as even what the Democrats did as far as ratings. I'm not sure what happened on on um, social media, either, because as we see, that's how a lot of the young people are tuning in. But let's hear your thoughts and, and, and tell us who really was the message for this. Was it the base or were we trying to pull in other people? Oh, I think there was prob probably beyond the base. I mean, when okay. you talk about uh, emphasizing that he's not opposed to legal immigration, he's opposed to illegal immigration. And highlighting this by having um, five new American citizens sworn in who did it all the right way uh, is, is, you know, is a great way to uh, emphasize this. And one of the things, you know, speaking of Daniel Cameron and Tim Scott, one of the sort of never mentioned responsibilities of an incumbent president is to uh, showcase and provide a platform for the future, the future stars of the party, whether it's the Republican or Democratic Party, uh, because all the attention at, at these things inevitably goes to the nominee or the incumbent president who's being renominated. Um, but both parties are filled with people who will be stars and important players and perhaps presidential nominees and presidents themselves. So showcasing them, getting them out there as they did with Daniel Cameron and uh, Tim Scott 
and for that matter, Nikki Haley, is a very important thing to do because there will be whatever ha- – assuming Donald Trump wins re-election, you know, the race will start the next morning <laughs> for yep. the 2024 nomination. And uh, so various of these people – I mean, Tim Scott's already in the Senate. Uh, I suspect at some point uh, Daniel Cameron will be governor or senator from Kentucky. Um, this is what you do. This is one of your party leader responsibilities, and I think it was well done. Well, yeah. Well, let me let me just say this. I hear what you're saying, but and I both of you have indicated that you thought the production and all was was well done. And but I'm gonna tell you, I sat back and I looked at it, and I'm telling you, as an average person, which is what I am, right? <laughs> Even though I have right. to do right, I'm aren't we all? Saying, aren't you asking so much of us, especially, unfortunately, especially after you've gone through all of these nights of a Democratic convention? Is that why perhaps people are trailing off? And that are you really getting the average person to sit there? I know you're trying to reach out to this is for both parties, but are you really? I mean, what? it's almost like save your breath. Who's up at 10, 30, 11 o'clock? Listening to this, right? I mean, isn't well, that- I can. I got it right in front of me. There were seven million Fox News viewers watching this Monday night. There were um, which two million for CNN. Which apparently 1. is what was happening during the Democrats, and I'm wondering if that's because people are just exhausted now. I mean, well, I think people are tired of politics, not of the convention. Remember, this is normal. One party has won the following week. The other party has there. So that part didn't change. I think it's the partisanship, because when you look deeper at those numbers, the Democrats uh, week last week, more people watch MSNBC and the non-Democrats kind of tuned out. Now, if we're just talking networks, we can't obviously know what people did online. Now this week you have Fox News ratings are up and then the MSNBC, CNN's ratings are a little bit low. I think it indicates the the extreme partisanship of our country and how people aren't open to listening and hearing different views. Rather, they'd rather go online and demonize the speakers and the ideas of the other party. And I think that's one reason why we can't get anything done. Now, remember, if we look at the time zone, you're right, it's late for us. But, you know, over in California or somewhere, it's not as as late. We have the time zone uh, issue here. But I think people are exhausted. I mean, these elections, at least on the Democrat side, people have been running for president for two years. These elections are getting longer and longer and longer. I think it's the process, not necessarily the conventions that's exhausting people. Well, I think, and Jeffrey, I'm going to let you comment on this, but I I do think it has something to do with the nature of how we're having to engage in these conventions, that there isn't truth to be told. There simply isn't the same level of excitement. Look at what happened to what what one of the speakers, uh, what was her name, uh, the Donald Trump's uh, uh, girlfriend, that she's trying to do this emotive uh, speaking, but it just kind of falls flat when you're talking to nothing, to simple air. So I, I do think the nature of what we're having to do is making it very, very difficult. And people, unfortunately, because the Republicans have come second, are starting to tune out. But Jeffrey, go ahead. You disagree. Well, <laughs> you know, one of the other things that I think is at play here is it's August. Um, yeah, America, right. Amer- America uh, like me, are on vacation. Lots yeah. of them. Yeah. And, you know, when they're on vacation, I think the absolute last thing they want to do is sit down and watch a political convention on television. That's what I'm to trying be perfectly to say. candid. 
especially one speech after the next, after the next, and especially if you're on the East Coast and you're starting to get sleepy. Right, right. <laughs> I, I just think that that's, that's a problem, and it was destined to happen because of the nature of this. Uh, well, but it could be about more... the candidates, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm well, surprised. Remember last week, Jeffrey, you, you told, um, we did our Facebook Live, you told viewers to look at the Democratic platform, look at the Republican platform, make your own decisions. Right. Well, you know, the Republicans, which this shocked me as a policy wonk, they don't have a platform, although certain speeches talked about school choice, anti-abortion, different issues, yes. But the party decided not to go with the platform and just sort of put all their allegiance against uh, uh, behind the president. I must admit that surprises me because what does the party stand for? I think people want to know because the oh, Republicans done the criticisms against the Democrat was that our convention was more too much about personality and not enough about policy. Well, at least we have a platform. Why doesn't, and I'm, I'm not asking and, you, you know, specifically, but you know what I mean? Why isn't there a platform of the Republican party? Well, I think you're going with the platform they had from, from four years ago. Uh, plus, you've got an administration who's made policy, so the policy speaks for itself. But I must say, you know, my Democratic friends, it eventually eked out that there were a thousand votes at the Democratic convention against the Democratic platform that passed, uh, which speaks to me to the, uh, you know, the underlying chasm that I think is there between the progressive wing and the sort of moderate wing of the Democratic Party. I mean, when you get that many votes opposing your own platform, that's uh, that says something. Well, let, 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 let's move in and talk about two other issues that I want to make sure we touch on here. And we got to talk about Melania Prince, but let's talk about Daniel Cameron and and uh, his his zinger back at uh, Biden, uh, basically reminding us of Biden's slip trying to advise uh, black people how to vote. You ain't black if you ain't supporting him. Uh, but, uh, you know, Cameron has his own issues, too, because people are looking at him and how he's dealing with the Breonna Taylor uh, issue as well. Well, but Rajati raises an interesting point that Jeffrey has hit before. Uh, are we doing a litmus test for blackness here? And is is are the are the Republican African Americans are are, are calling us out on it? Yes, they are, and they should. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't defend those comments that Joe Biden made. They were wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to try to, you know, defend those comments. Um, they were wrong. They should have been said. And I'm not surprised that the Republicans are bringing those comments out because, as you know, uh, among the Democrat Party, there's discussions every year as to whether or not the Democrat Party takes black votes for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, that is an internal discussion within within the party. And I think the Democrats have tried to address that this year by putting more people of color in leadership slash prominent positions. Um, you have some of the most diverse campaign staff uh, that you've ever seen, which is important because as we all know, when people win elections, they often take their staff with them, which means we have more diversified offices. We have Camilla Harris um, as our VP candidate, a woman of color um, that would, if, if, if they win, will you know, have a seat at the table with an actual voice. So, you know, it is a discussion. There are a lot of African-Americans that feel that way, which is why sometimes the vote is low in black communities. 
Well, not only will Kamala have a seat at the table, she will be the table. <laughs> but Jeffrey, are, are African-Americans having these kind of conversations within the Republican Party about just, sure, it's great to get up and give a speech and to represent, but what is their real power and influence? Are they taking leadership positions? You want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely, they are. Yeah. I mean, there's no question in my mind, for example, that Tim Scott is uh, emerging as a serious policy leader on uh various issues to the vast irritation, I think, of some Democrats. Uh, um, Senator Durbin had called him a token at one point and had to apologize for it. Uh, and and this, this, this is my problem here with all of this, is that there are, in the world of liberal Democrats, there are those who believe your skin color is your, your race or your gender or, in this day and age, your sexual preference uh, is is simultaneous with uh, um, your politics, and that to be any of those, you must by definition be a liberal or a Democrat. I mean, hence Joe Biden's blurting it out. But I mean, that, that is a fact. I think that a lot of Democrats think that way. That if you're black, you must be a Democrat. If you're gay, if you're a woman, etc. And at this convention, as we can see, there are plenty of African Americans and women. And, uh, you know, you look at Rick Brunel, who was the first gay American ambassador to uh, uh, Germany and then was the first gay uh, acting director of intelligence, who's quite openly gay and quite supportive of the president, et cetera. And he takes all kind of flack from gays who are liberal. Um, this is the thing that I think is a problem, and we have got to get beyond it and treat people as individuals and, and not assume that because they are, they look this way, they've got a certain skin color or a certain gender or sexual preference that they automatically are liberal Democrats. That's just not good. Well, I, but think, I think that's part of our cancel culture, too. I mean, you have people on social media. If you don't think the way I do, I'm going to unfriend you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Right, I think we're right. turning into and, and maybe that's part of uh, you know our free society that we have the right to think the way we want. But then we also expect everyone to think the way that we think. You know, everyone's an expert. <laughs> but I do think that's part of the cancel society that we have now, unfortunately. Um, but there is diversity among there actually are a lot of conservatives among the African-American. I, I always say the Republican Party actually misses out because of some of their policies in supporting that candidates is, such as is. Donald Trump. They actually could have more diversity within the party if they would just refute some of the comments and some of the policies that some Republicans uh, seem to support, like the birther movement. It's hard for me as a black woman to be part of a party that's going to deny a person they're a United States citizen because of, in my opinion, their race. Now, did every Republican go along with that? No. But unfortunately, the leaders of the party did. So, you know, well, we need to I watch would, that uh, spot. Hey, guys, we're going to take a, a break right here, and we're going to come right back and pick up that stream because I actually think Rajette has raised a very good point, and I'd love Jeffrey to comment on that. Are you missing out because of some of the insensitive things that are going on uh, with some people that are stopping uh, African Americans from considering even the Republican Party? But hold on there. We will be right back after this break.
Okay, we are back and we are resuming our conversation about the Republican National Convention on this battleground PA. If you'd like to join us, you can do so. Send an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org or check us out on Facebook or Twitter, Battleground PA. All right, Jeffrey, we were simply, uh, I think Rajette raised a very good point, and it's one that I have uh, talked about repeatedly, that there are some uh, very attractive uh, policy things, especially when you start talking about low taxes and economics, that could win you more uh, African-American or minority voters. But some of the insensitive comments, some of the things that are, that frankly are offensive uh, and that seem simply racist uh, or or expressions of racism, even if it's really not your heart, not, not not that it's your heart, but the person's heart, that that is prohibiting or stopping you from winning some voters. What are your thoughts on that, Jeffrey? Well, one of the things I would want to say is the constant misrepresentation. I mean, first of all, I believe to get right to the heart of the last episode that Barack Obama was born in Hawaii in August of 1961. I have absolutely no doubt about this. But to suggest, as Democrats and as the media repeatedly does, that birtherism is racist is just flatly not so. Birtherism was invented in the 18, early 1880s by a gentleman. He was a paid Democratic operative. His name was Arthur Hinman. And his beef was that Chester Allen Arthur, who had succeeded to the presidency as vice president from uh, on the assassination of James President Garfield, that Chester Allen Arthur was born not in Vermont, as he claimed, but in Canada. He wrote a whole book about it called uh, something like How a British Subject uh, Became President of the United States, in which he flatly accused him of lying that he was uh, you yeah, know, yeah, not an American I citizen. Now, 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 wait, wait, there's, yeah, more, there's yeah. more. There's more here. But the but Democrats I, went after they went I, after Barry Goldwater in 1964 because he was born in the territory of Arizona, not in the state of Arizona. They yeah, went after yeah, Governor yeah, George yeah. Romney. I get the history, but people look at the why you're pulling this out. You, there is this history. You're absolutely right, but you got to you got to f- focus on the exact thing that's going on here. People perceive this as an they attack. They perceive it because the, the media tells them it's true, and it isn't well, true. But they, but the uh, but the reaction has not convinced many African Americans that that is not true, and that's but because you have they to don't admit, know the truth. Though, with President Trump, though, he only accuses. I mean, as you know, I've been uh, I've been very honest. I believe both parties, including the Democrat Party, both have issues with race, especially if you go back and look at the history of it. I'm not going to deny you that. But President Trump specifically only accuses non-white people of not being American citizens, asking for the birth certificate. He started his political career on on birth uh, on the birth movement with. Uh, former President Barack Obama. That's how, I mean, outside of his, of course, his TV personality, that's how he began his political career. And now he started it with Kamala Harris. You know, why doesn't he ask uh, Lindsey Graham for his birth certificate? You know, you just look, just try to look, just try to look at it from up. a different perspective. That's all I'm asking. And it's keeping people of color away from the Republican Party. That's all I'm saying. I mean, uh, I think that's because the media... The media tries to make it seem that way, and it, it just simply isn't true. I but mean, Jeff- Barry Goldwater was yeah, white. George Romney was to- white. Lowell Weicker was white. All of them, all of them accused of not being qualified to be president because they were born out of the United States. Every Jeff- single one of them. 
Jeffrey, I want to challenge you a little bit on the media, the media, the media. That is such an easy scapegoat out. You are a part of the media. You have to learn to deal with them. <laughs> you have to learn to be a messenger. Most of the people I deal with are not trying to 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 advance anything but a fair and balanced report. That's for Fox. That's well, it's for- not fair and balanced to say that birtherism is racist. Well, it's just Jeffrey, it's historically and factually inaccurate. They did not, the Republican Party did not do enough to make sure that African-Americans realized that was not an attack on someone's race. It wasn't something to attack a black president. So, And as you know, perception is everything in politics. It's not always the reality. It's how you communicate. You have to know how to use the media. You know that better than anybody else. And to, as we've got into this before, the media, the media, media, that's a scapegoat. But we have the freest press in the world here, and we should be proud of it and we should be supporting it because our foundation, our democracy is based on this concept that we have a press that's unfettered, that's free, that simply covers the truth and, and tries to expose things for what they are. And to constantly right, but they don't do it when it comes to does not help our society. It really doesn't. But. Let's move on. Well, but you know, President Trump doesn't help him doesn't help himself either. I mean, no disrespect, but like I said, I do think the convention production-wise is great. I do think it's speaking to Republican base. But the worst parts of the convention are, you know, all of his <laughs> the controversy are all of his appearances. <laughs> And I'm not I'm not just saying that, but he has to learn to allow other people, whether or not I agree with their content or not. He has to learn to allow other people to speak on his behalf. And he always has to well, be the whole star convention of the so show. far has had people speaking on his behalf. Yeah, I, I mean, his wife, the immigrants, the business people. He doesn't have to speak every night, though. Just like the naturalization ceremony, the pardon, those are great events. No one's going to say they're not. But you shouldn't politicize them at a political convention. It looks like a gimmick. Now, for argument's sake, it wasn't a gimmick, but it comes off that way because it's happening at the convention. There it's was just, some criticism about what there was some criticism, Jeffrey, about why do that then that it kind of cheapens it, it kind of, you know, I, I, we're, again, we're happy to have people get pardons if they deserve it and all that. But, you know, it's better not to mix it in with the politics. It would just seem. Well, but anyway, know, go he ahead. gets criticized. He gets criticized For every everything. time he somebody. <laughs> I mean, I remember my former CNN colleague, Jim Acosta, and this was a perfect example when Kim Kardashian came to the Trump White House uh, to meet and talk about getting various people pardoned. And I think this led to the pardon of Alice White um, or Alice. It was Alice Johnson, I guess. Um, yeah. Jim Acosta stands there on the White House lawn and says that really she doesn't have a place there because she's an entertainer and she shouldn't be involved in something like this. And somebody did some research and found out that John Legend, John Legend came to the Obama White House to urge uh, pardons for somebody, and Jim Acosta thought it was terrific and interviewed uh, John Legend and, you know, what a great thing you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. It's all because Donald Trump does it, and he can do exactly the same thing as Barack Obama, and he gets criticized for it. And now that that's, is, you that's know, a good point, you get Jeff. into all this never-Trumpism stuff. Yeah, let, let's go oh, forward. I won't disagree with that. I mean, I've seen panels of just all Democrats, uh, you know, analyzing the convention on some of the, the national news stations. So I, everyone has their point of view that they're trying to push, which I think is another reason why some voters are probably watching it online versus 
Well, I, unfortunately, I think the pageantry aren't watching it. I think many voters aren't watching it. I think only the politically engaged really are are going this extra mile. But let, let's move on out because I do want to end uh, with our discussion. Now, I'm going to tell you, in some ways, and I'm going to put that because I was. I was very impressed in some ways with Melania Trump. I, I, I really was, I, especially when she went to Ghana and then she talked about her personal experience. And it, it just seemed like it really was her expressing some very noble sentiments. Um, and I, I don't know how you guys saw, but I thought the, the speech tried to do too much, frankly. She touched on almost so many things, but that part resonated with me. I said, finally, I hear something from that that really seems to be sensitive speaking to people who are hurting in this country. First of all, hurting from the virus, but also hurting from racism. She dealt with that, Jeffrey. I mean, don't you think she did a, a good job and that this is. A, oh, I do. People are talking about the tone is so much even different from her husband. Well, they're different people. And she is the first lady. She's her own person. Uh, I've. I, met her somewhere along the line. I mean, she's a very impressive person, and she's exactly the right person to be out there. Um, you know, they would send Bill Clinton out to smooth the rough edges of Hillary, which I always thought was kind of amusing. Uh, I mean, this is what spouses quite frequently in both parties are called on to do. And uh, it's, you know, it's an, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, I was saying earlier about how presidents and presidential nominees have a responsibility to bring forward, you know, rising stars in their party. It's an unspoken thing. And it's an unspoken deal with spouses that you are there to sort of burnish your rough edges. significant others. It, rough edges, right. I mean, that's what you do. That's so, right. uh, I mean, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Lady Bird Johnson was out there to soothe the LBJ's rough edges, of which there were many. <laughs> well, Rochette, I <laughs> and, will you know, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, Rochette, I'll tell you, this will not be the first. I mean, I, I really was a bit confused. How could this woman who has such a heart, it seems, be with this man who's so mean sometimes? <laughs> it's like she's not the first wife who's been with a husband. You scratch your head to wonder why is this woman with him, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what was so striking was the was the differences. And they said that she actually wanted this speech to be her own and she didn't let it go through the, the speech writers, the campaign and whatnot, because she didn't want it changed. And maybe that's why the tone was so different that she wanted to reveal her. And if you listen to the speech, she also talked a lot of what she, she was only ma almost making a pitch to the voters allowing her to be first lady another four years. Cause she talked a lot about what she did as first lady. Um, as well. Apparently not really out there in the spotlight a lot. I mean, is that no, she's not. Is that the, or is just she's just a more reclusive, retiring person. She is. You know who she reminds me of? And I know this will cause the uh, I said this once on CNN and it caused uh, some of my Democratic friends to almost pass out on air. But I compared her to Jackie Kennedy. And and the reason I did that is that. Uh, as somebody who was crazy about the Kennedys in the day, she was a very, very private person. And he, of course, is running for president. She sort of forces herself to go do the things that she's got to do. And then he wins. And suddenly she's first lady of the land. So ever so gradually, she eased into the role. Um, and then, of course, all the terrible things happened there. And she moves to New York to get her kids out of D.C., 
and becomes uh, the target of the paparazzi and all this, and then quite the public figure. And, you know, she became an entirely different person. But when she began, she was very much like Melania Trump. She just, she was very, you know, attractive. Uh, she had a very soft-spoken voice, and she really, really loved her privacy. And I, I just, you know, I, I understand it. If you are a spouse's significant other, and your significant other is into presidential politics. Buckle in is all I can say. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Roger, I, I, I do, think, do think some people now, I personally don't agree with that comparison, but that's a, right. <laughs> I'll let that go. But, you know, but one thing I, I will say though, is, you know, I, I think it was nicely written. I think she, you know, she presented it very well, but there were a couple of contradictions in her speech. And for instance, she spoke very well about the race relations issue, especially now. I mean, we're going through this again with Jacob Blake, which I know I'm sure we'll get to, you know, in another podcast. But she talked well about uh, about that issue. But yet she was also also one of the individuals who wanted to requested, you know, former President Obama's birth certificate. So, you know, sometimes you have to match people's actions with their words. But if I look strictly from last night, she presented very well. The speech was well written. She she gave it well. And it's just interesting how how I personally view this president as very anti-immigrant. But then you see his wife standing there, an immigrant, and it just doesn't make sense to me. I just don't I don't understand. And I think a lot of Americans are confused like I am. No, but no, but as Jeffrey said, uh, the president uh, is against illegal immigration, not legal immigration. So he wants people to come uh, through the right route, except except one of the issues that I have is that when you're a refugee and you're fleeing, you don't really you pick up and you run. And that's one of the things that I think has not been well understood uh, by the administration, that some of the people coming to those borders are fleeing for their lives and they're desperate and they can't check a, a book and say, what law, what section should I apply for? They, they, we, that's where the compassion and understanding of a, of a people comes in. So, but I, I mean, I get the distinction that Jeffrey made. So. Let me ask you guys this, as you're looking at all of this, and we still have a, a little bit to go with the, with the Republican vision, what difference is this going to make to voters? Honestly, I do. Jeffrey, do you think you're going to win some independent voters or pull over some Democrats with this convention? Well, I, I just, as a general rule, am sort of skeptical about any convention's ability to do that. And right. uh, again, I'll use the term you don't want me to use, which is the media. It, it's a it's a it's catnip. These stories are catnip for people in the media. Um, I mean, we've already seen stories that uh, Joe Biden didn't get a bounce out of it. Bounce is the operative word here. I mean, after every convention of both parties, all of the time, there are stories about did did the whatever party did whatever candidate get a bounce. Uh, because he's already the, so far ahead sure. in the polls. That could be part of the reason. And, and, I, no and I just. I, I just think, you know, very quickly this will fade and we'll be into the actual campaign. And then the stories will be, you know, so-and-so said such and such today. Uh, it's controversial or it's boring or whatever. Right. And then 24 hours later, we'll get another one and that one will be forgotten. So into this, it, it, it just it just winds up, uh, you know, what's the last big bite before the election? 
It's just the show, right? It's just the show. Okay, Rajette, you have the final word. Well, I think most voters are have decided between the two candidates who they want to support. I think there's a very small group of people who are still undecided, and that could be another reason why the numbers are the way they are outside of the differences because of the current climate. Um, I do think that the race officially starts next week. On the Democrat side, our vice president candidate and surrogates are doing a lot of virtual events, trying to reach out to voters. I think both conventions are doing what they needed to do was to excite their bases. Mm-hmm. And once the bases are excited, then you can start to grow on that base. Um, but I Got still it. conclude that this is going to be a very close race. Um, I do not think it is decided yet, and we still have a long way to go. All right. So it looks like we're in for a battle, and this is the battleground. So thank you both, Rajette and Jeffrey. I will see you again next weekend. We will do a Facebook Live, I'm assuming, on Friday if all goes well. So check us out. Stay tuned. We'll have information about that on our website at Penn Live. So hang in there. Enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your week. So long, guys. <laughs>